You're listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, and let's turn to our final guest and topic of today. Now, we've got a big topic, so in the next 15 minutes or so, we're talking about education and also its relationship with poverty and inequality in the world. And we'll be mulling over this with Hugo Horta, who's an associate professor from the Academic Unit of Social Contexts and Policies of Education at the University of Hong Kong. Welcome to the program, Professor Horta. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. A pleasure to be here. So we are live this morning on Facebook as well. Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio Three, and uh, oh, and we've also got an announcement as well. Uh, the transmitter at uh, Tin Shui Wei has been fixed, so uh, normal uh, broadcasting will resume. So uh, we're pleased that you'll be able to catch us back on uh, AM one, oh, sorry FM one hundred seven point eight. So all channels of communication is open. And so Professor Horta, um. Uh, you know, you have an, uh, an interest in educational reform in public policies and also a special interest in poverty and, uh, and, and inequality and education. How did that all begin? Um, well, probably, you know, um, I was born, I was the generation that was born um, right after um, the, the toppling of a dictatorial regime in my country. So um we were very much influenced by the Where need to, to look at social matters in Portugal. In Portugal, Portugal. This, this my country. Is, I'm from Portugal, and the generation uh, that was born in, in the mid seventies, uh, early eighties, um, uh, maybe was socialized because of the revolution um, into having uh, a big social consciousness, um, and therefore. Um, this was part of the curriculum that uh, we had um, throughout our educational uh, journey. Um, later on, I mean, this was strengthened because um, I opted to do um, uh, a degree, a university degree in sociology. Um, and uh, I took the specialization of sociology of deviance, which basically looks with those elements in society, which are not mainstream, right? They, one way or the other, are either discriminated against or they discriminate themselves uh, and, and, and pull out of society. Um, and, you know, uh, my interest build on that. Um, and then later on, when I did my master in the UK, um, I, I continued to, um, to sort of analyze issues related to inequality, uh, in particularly uh, from an urban development perspective, uh, in terms of how the cities transform themselves and how poor neighborhoods uh, move around as the city uh, develops and, um, you know, real estate becomes uh, a thing. Um, it, it changed a little bit because then later on uh, I end up doing um, a PhD in engineering. Um, but when I was hired by the University of Hong Kong, um, a colleague of mine uh, was leaving and he had this common core course on poverty and development. Uh, and, and I took it. I took over it and um, I shaped it, um, you know, uh, in, in my own ways, um, in a way that I think would uh, talk to uh, the students that are from Hong Kong, but at the same time giving um, a worldview. A global of context, of yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. poverty is all relative, but it's it's very real in Hong Kong. Professor Horta, I was saying before the interview started, we were supposed to talk earlier this year in January, but because of COVID, you know, because of various uh, changes uh, in, in the studios, I wasn't able to. So, so here we are. 
Qatar. And it's so timely because um, even though this interview was set up months ago, uh, set up months ago, uh, Oxfam Hong Kong has just released uh, their Hong Kong poverty report that cites that poverty has worsened during COVID times, with the riches now earning 47.3 times more than the poorest compared to 34.3 times in 2019. Now, we definitely heard that during the pandemic, it really affected all students, but those students who are from lower income families were really hard hit. For example, you know, we heard incidences where they didn't have access to the internet. Um, they they weren't able to have iPads, or if they did, they had to share it. Um, from your own data, from your own research, um, what is the, the, the full impact of poverty on education? Uh, well, not, not specifically focusing on Hong Kong, but because this is a, is a global problem, right? Um, there, there are many impacts. Uh, I mean, I can just name a few. Um, for example, transportation um, can be an impact because uh, many times um, there are no schools close to um, poor neighborhoods. Um, so the kids have to take a bus and, you know, spend quite a lot of time commuting. Meaning that when they arrive to school uh, in the morning, they're already uh, a bit tired. Uh, and later on, when they come from school, um, you know, they don't have that much energy anymore uh, to do homework uh, properly. Um, the issue of uh, many times uh, kids from poor backgrounds uh, arrive to school without having breakfast uh, or they don't have the money also for lunch. You know, and we all know that if we don't, um, if we're not fed, um, it's much harder. Your to... brain is not going to function as well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the brain does not function. We feel uh, constantly tired, um, not motivated really to to learn or to do things. Um, and of course, this has an impact then on, on the learning capabilities of, of these poor students. Um, but there are then other issues that. Poverty really, um, imp- in a way that poverty really impacts education. Uh, a lot of these kids uh, come to school, they come from dysfunctional families um, in the sense that um, the parents sometimes are not at home or, or when they're at home, you know, they're, they're tired. They're, they're not really in the mood to, to create rules. or So the kids go to sleep, for example, whenever they want, um, leading them sometimes to, to fail, to come to class or, or to arrive late. Um, and I mean, when I, when I was in the UK, there was this program to bring kids to school. And uh, it was impressive that um, the parents were being given money uh, so that the kids would come to school uh, and the kids were coming um, and were learning. Uh, the problem is not always. Uh, and many times they would arrive late and it was a bit puzzling. Why was that? And we figured out that, you know, the kids don't have at home any kind of rule. So they would simply wake up whenever they wake up. And they would come to school and sometimes they would arrive to school and, you know, the classes were already ended or something like that. So uh, I remember that program, one of the initiatives that had to be done was to provide the kids, interestingly, not the parents, but the kids, uh, alarm clocks so that they could set the time to wake (laughs) up. I mean, when we're talking about poverty, there's a lot of these social, cultural uh, kind of characterization and issues that to most of us... um, they don't really make sense, but we're talking about um, many times um, kids that come from really dysfunctional families um, because the parents have to be outside working. Um, the kids are on their own. So basically they have no rules. They do whatever they they like, which is normal. Um, if they don't have a control, they're kids, they're curious, they want to do these things. They're not socialized to 
to the kind of behaviors that are expected of other kids. So usually when we put these kids in a classroom and we tell them, you know, you need to be seated, you need to be quiet, you need to be listened to the teacher, they don't understand. It's completely new to them. Why should I do it here? Because I don't there were no at boundaries home. at home and suddenly they're put Precise. in a setting where there are rules and boundaries. Sure, yeah. Exactly. So, but But then they came off as unruly or undisciplined uh, to the teachers. Um, and, and, and then sometimes they end up being discriminated because they, they become, uh, you know, termed as uh, troublemakers, um, that they are disrupting the, the learning of others. And they are. But it's not really because they want to necessarily. It's simply because, you know, they were never socialized like the other kids that, you know, you should behave, you should be quiet, you should listen to the teacher, you should follow uh, what is going on around you and, and not simply do your own thing. Um, kids that come from poor households also do not really have uh, places to study. Um, they don't have um, like a, a desk where they can have their thing. Uh, things usually are quite spread all around. Um, and sometimes they don't have the calm, quiet environment that they need to do the homework, which is also very problematic. So uh, many times, sometimes these kids have to do the homework outside uh, or have to try to study outside, which is not, as we know, the best place um, for uh, to learn mm -hmm. and, uh, and to study. The parents often cannot support the study of the kids, right? Um, because they don't have the formal education to really help them out. Uh, so the kids are a bit on their own. Um, the parents also do not have the budget uh, to put the kids into private tutoring or to provide them with quality private tutoring. So, so the kids basically are unsupported. Um, this eventually leads uh, this conjunction of all of these things, and there are others, but we, we can stop with these ones, um, leads kids to be basically unmotivated, and they're going to trail uh, relative to their peers. Uh, so they're going to start feeling, you know, I'm, I'm not that smart, um, I, I can't do this. Um, and, and this is a huge hit to self-esteem, um, leading them to uh, eventually uh, drop out. Or continuing the education path, but uh, without really learning much, um, and and they eventually gonna get even if it's allowed that they move on, they eventually gonna get to a, to a place where they feel, what am I doing here? Um, and and they might get some kind of certificate of some sort, but um, deep down, they the learning that which is the most important uh, didn't really happen. So. Um, these are some of the consequences that uh, coming from a poor household sometimes have on, on education. And it's a big challenge for some of these kids to sometimes strive and be successful uh, in education when education is such a critical um, activity for them to, to leave poverty, actually. Yeah, it, and it sounds like all the all the odds are against them. You know, it's not just one thing, it's a combination of all those factors. Like you said, not having a proper space to study, not having par parental support, because the parents aren't perhaps educated themselves or may not necessarily be able to help with the homework and they may not have the resources to put them in, in these sort of tutoring centres. And, and so, you know... Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? What can be done? What sorts of support can be given to these students? Because, you know, education is such a basic necessity. All children should have the right to have access to the education. But it's not just access. It's the whole 
it's you know the full support as well and i feel like a lot of the a lot of the emphasis is then placed on the children and the students and the families but what about educators what about schools what about you know looking at the policies how can how can the other side support these students because the onus shouldn't be on the students you know they they have a a lot of things against them. The owners should be on the educators. How can e- <laughs> but then I can see the other side. Well, yeah, educators I mean, um, are overworked as well. So then educators then cannot provide those support. Um, also, but yeah, I mean, in, in in a perfect world, what can be done? What should we do? Well, um, there are certain things that um, that can be done. Um, for example, um, something that has been uh, a key policy in, in many countries, particularly in developed countries, in developing countries, but not only, um, is, for example, to provide um, breakfast for the kids in school, breakfast and sometimes lunch. Yes, in the UK um, they do that. Yes, they do that, and it's extremely important because. Um, well, I actually subscribe more the idea of uh, providing um, breakfast and lunch uh, for a sort of a symbolic fee, um, because there are studies um, in the in the city of New York. I'm, I'm thinking about this one in particular, where where they found that you know um, if it's free, um, kids from poor um, backgrounds feel that they are the only ones going there, and they feel well, this is kind of shameful because you know I, I have to. I eat for free and the other kids then joke with me. But if, if, even if they pay some kind of a symbolic, uh, fee for the food, uh, just to say that they're, you know, they're paying for it, um, it changes things completely. And actually, uh, these studies show that when you have this kind of small, very symbolic fee, uh, for the meal, um, the other kids that don't necessarily need it uh, also go and, and eat with them. Um, and, and the interesting and the important thing here is um, an idea that is no, it's not only the poor students going there, but it's everybody mm-hmm. going there. So um, the, the effect of discrimination is mitigated and, and these kids are sharing a meal together, which helps them to create, uh, you know, bonds and um, to create a friendship. Um, and, and this is very important because one, uh, an often kind of uh, overlooked aspect of poverty is um, the, the social part. Um, sure, there is this economic component, which is, is, is very problematic, but it's also about feeling integrated, about feeling uh, that I'm participating in society, I'm part of society, uh, mm-hmm. I have some respect for my peers, I, I, I'm not discriminated, I'm not disenfranchised. Because when that happens, then it's a bit difficult to say, you know, you need to give to society um, when they grow up. Because they, they would feel, why should I give to this society? Nobody cares about me here. So why should I contribute to um, to a place, to a society that really gave me almost nothing? Um, probably uh, I should look my own way outside of this society. And this is very, very problematic in terms of social cohesion and, and in terms of stability of societies. And this is why governments all around the world um, are very much worried and concerned about poverty because they're aware of this as well. So um, bringing, for example, if schools, if schools, sorry, if schools um, have programs that allow them to provide meals to students, to all of students by a, a kind of a token uh, symbolic fee, that alone would be helpful. Um, Schools, for example, providing extra hours uh, for uh, not necessarily for the poor kids, but for kids who are in need of catching up. That is also a good policy. 
in the sense that, you know, most likely the kids that are need catching up are going to be the poor kids, but you don't call it, you know, uh, we're doing these extra hours just for the poor kids. For the kids that are catching up, okay, um, it's giving them uh, maybe the right environment because they're in school. They can be supervised to some extent. Um, and, you know, the teachers will be able to identify, you know, what are the issues and uh, what are the, the learning flaws that these students are having. Of course, um, resources are the main problem here. Funding is the main problem here. Should it be uh, the same teachers they have? Probably um, the hiring of assistants, of teaching assistants that can help uh, would be beneficial. Um, it could also be an opportunity, for example, uh, to bring uh, students from the universities um, to have a role, to have a, a contribution to society while they are students, uh, and they could eventually get some credits out of this. This would be particularly important for uh, students that are actually learning to become teachers in the future. Exactly. Um, to give to yeah, give because, them a classroom setting, and this way it's it's mutually beneficial. Also, I, I really agree with that point, um, Professor Horta, especially also having longer um, sort of hours for the students to stay in a safe place to, to do their homework or, or to catch up, uh, as you mentioned, because childcare, we all know that, you know, one of the biggest reasons that perhaps women and men, um, you know, have to take extra hours out of work or perhaps have to do part-time work or perhaps not even work at all because of childcare. And this way, by by students from lower income families being able to stay at school, then the mums, and I say the mums because predominantly it's the, the women who unfortunately have to drop out of the workforce. Um, then they can stay longer hours and perhaps earn extra uh, to provide for the family. We've only got three minutes before the 11.30 news. We still have so much to talk about. I must invite you back. Uh, we still haven't covered uh, the effects of poverty on girls and, and education and, and also. But I want to switch it around a, a little bit. Um, and very quickly, in, in about two minutes, can we talk about how education can affect poverty? Because that is, you know, is so empowering to be able to provide and, and, and to, to let children have access to education. So flipping it around, how does education affect poverty? Education has a complex um, relationship uh, with inequality. But uh, concerning poverty, and poverty, of course, is an extreme form of inequality, um, it's the way out of the poverty trap. I mean, um, we are in knowledge societies and it's almost impossible for us to function um, without basic literacy. So at the very basic level, uh, the fact that poor kids can attend uh, primary school is extremely empowering because it allows them the opportunity to, to be literate. And literacy is the foundation of lifelong learning. So it allows them to, to be able to, you know, have the opportunity if they wish and if they can to move up to higher levels of learning and to um, change their lives, uh, to improve their lives uh, comparing to what they have now. So it's extremely important. And the fact that even if they don't, if that doesn't happen, just the fact that they become literate allows them to function in society. I mean, um, probably this doesn't apply so much to, to realities such as uh, Hong Kong, but in many developing countries, I mean, uh, one of the big issues in terms of health is the fact that 
um, people cannot read. Uh, people don't know, um, uh, you know, they don't understand. If they can't read, if they don't have this literacy kind of understanding, they can't understand how, for example, diseases work, um, that they can catch a disease this way or that way. They cannot um, really understand um, even uh, going to the supermarket how much things cost because they can't do uh, these small sums. Um, so they're really outside of, of society as, as we know it. And, and, and it, it will contribute for them not to be part of it, to feel disenfranchised. And, and this is something that we need to prevent as much as we can. So just, I know the time is short, Access to education is extremely important, is the, the best way we have to bring um, families from one generation to the next out of the poverty trap. Yeah, it's essential. Absolutely. Uh, definitely a topic that we must revisit another time. Thank you so much to Professor Hugo Horta, who's an associate professor at me. the Academic Unit of Social Context and Policy of Education at the University of Hong Kong.